If you are around Edmondson Bible Fellowship long enough, you will hear us describe ourselves as a teaching hospital. You see, we take seriously this idea that we are called not only to faithfully minister the gospel, but we are called to faithfully teach others to do the same. So one of the things that you will see at our church is that the pulpit will be shared. Pastor Jason will preach a majority of the time, but our pulpit is is open so we can help others prepare for a preaching ministry. We think this isn't only good for for, uh, young pastors who are being trained, but it's also good for us because we don't learn simply to sit under the teaching of one man. We learn to sit under the teaching of God's word. This is a good and healthy and right thing to do. Today is one of those teaching Sundays. Uh, Jean-Luc Cueva, who will be joining our staff as a pastoral apprentice uh, this fall, will be bringing us the word. We're very excited to have him come. He comes to us uh, from Peru by way of Florida. He and his wife uh, came last summer and have jumped into our church. Uh, They have been involved with Ethos. Uh, uh, Currently, um, he is studying at, at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. So we're excited for him, and we're also excited for us. So, Gianluca, come bring us the word, brother. Thank you, Pastor John. Good morning, EBF. Or as I like to say, buenos dias. That was good. Don't you guys just love babies? I mean, what are you going to say? No. <laughs> that would be weird. Well, as Pastor John was saying, my name is John Luca Cueva. My amazing wife and I moved to Evanston last August from Florida. Uh, I am going to be one of the apprentices here, and I am both excited and blessed to have the opportunity to preach the word to you all this morning. So before we get started, let us pray. Father God, you are holy and good, and you are holy and good above all things. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for the gift of life, and we ask that today we could hear ultimately from you. Ready and prepare our hearts. Help us to tune our ears to your voice, Spirit. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'd like to begin by asking you all a question. What will we be doing in heaven? Now, last week, Pastor Jason talked about what heaven will look like, but what do you think we'll be doing when we're in heaven? Well, if you're like me and you've been driving around Evanston these past couple of months and weeks, you would hope that we will no longer be doing construction in heaven, right? But I think I can come up with maybe one word that can describe pretty well what we will be doing when it comes to heaven. And that word is Florida. Or, as I like to men- or some other like to mention it, Florida. See, our passage today is going to describe some things such as the tree of life with endless crops and the river of life and light that will be forever. So let's look at Florida in comparison and see how it stands up. Florida, it has an abundance of crops. You'll get mangoes, oranges, and avocados year-round. You know what that, that means? Avocado toast every day. Yeah, amen. But not only that, but Florida is actually home to the fountain of youth. I don't know if you knew that, but Ponce de Leon, a Spanish explorer, said that anyone who drank from this fountain would live forever. Finally, Florida is literally known as the sunshine state. That means that the light will always be blessing your face and you will walk in eternal light. 
So oranges, avocados, basking light, drinking from the fountain of youth itself—heaven on earth, right? No, unfortunately not. Even Florida doesn't come close to heaven. It just simply is. Unfortunately, there's too much humidity. But the question still remains: What will we be doing in heaven? And well, today I think, unfortunately, many of us and even the church sometimes can have a very distorted view of what our lives will be like in heaven. But thanks be to God that He has given us His Word, and we can catch a glimpse of what our lives will be like in heaven. So today, our takeaway will be this: Fellow Christian, hold on to these words. As we read the words of Revelation 22, hold on to them. In the midst of your joys and your pains, let these words pervade your heart, your mind, and everything you do. Christian, hold on to these words. See, we will first.、Uh, John will give us three reasons to encourage us as to why we should hold on to these words. The first reason being, we will receive abundantly, we will reflect perfectly, and we will reign forever. See, in the new heavens, we will receive in abundance from God everything we need. We will reflect our God perfectly, and finally, we will reign forever. So, please stand with me as we read God's word today, and turn to Revelation 22. We'll read verses one through nine. Christian, hold on to these words. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruits yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. The night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, "These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent His angel to show His servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book." I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, "You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God." You may be seated. Heaven on earth—it's a common expression that we use. All the time, perhaps, or just every once in a while, but this is exactly what we see here in the text: heaven on earth. Heaven will be tangible, palpable. It won't be some ethereal concept constructed in our minds, but it's something you can touch. It's something you could feel, and it's something you're going to even be able to taste. Heaven on earth. And so, as Pastor John said, we're coming to an end in our series today on Revelation. And today we'll continue to further talk about what life will be like in heaven with God forever. But for some of us, perhaps going through this series has felt like forever. But today we're finally getting to the end of the vision of John. So so far, John has seen Satan and his army attack the people of God, 
but we have seen Christ be victorious and judge his enemies. And last week, Pastor Jason covered the coming of the new heavens and the new earth. And today, we will talk about our lives in the new heavens and the new earth. So let's dive in. Let's read verses 1 and 2. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. See, EBF, this is the first reason we are to hold on to these words. Hold on to these words because we will receive abundantly from God. Now, at this point, I know what many of you all may be thinking. If this is the abundant, if this is the abundance that God will be given us today, then where's all the Chick-fil-A, right? There's supposed to be Chick-fil-A in heaven. That's why they're closed on Sundays because they're catering to heaven, right? Are those chicken tendered flavored fruits that we'll be eating? And when you mention the river of life, you're talking about a river of coffee, right? Because nothing gives me life more than coffee. Um, And unfortunately, I don't think that's the case nor the point. And we could honestly spend our time going through the countless scholars and church fathers who have studied these texts and figure out if we'll actually be eating al pastor tacos in heaven or not. But I don't think that's the point of the passage. The point of the passage is to point us to the abundancy that we will receive from God. It would also be difficult for us to continue and talk further without noticing what this passage is actually pointing us to. See, if you look at your text, you'll see key words like the river of water of life, the tree of life. These are very similar words that we see in the book of Genesis, in the beginning. And the truth is that these are actually bookends. Genesis 1 and 2, and Revelation 21 and 22. The faithfulness of God in the beginning, will be, he will be restoring all things, and his faithfulness will come again at the end. In God here, we see that the story is folding and finally coming to a completion. It's a full loop of God's goodness and faithfulness to his people. So please follow along as I read Genesis 2, verses 9 through 10. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. See, God is restoring all things to how they were originally meant to be. And we see that God will once again provide for us abundantly in the new Jerusalem, in the new heavens, in the new earth. And so as we look at verse 2, we see God's abundant provision. It is diverse, and there is a variety of it. So as I was saying, my wife and I just moved to Evanston this past August, and one of our favorite things to do was go to the farmer's market. It was amazing. It was awesome. There's all different kinds of fruits and vegetables and all these other things. There's countless different types of apples and potatoes and vegetables that I quite honestly didn't even know what they were. And so we see in today's provision, in a farmer's market, God's abundant and diverse provision for us, how much more glorious and wonderful will God's provision be for us in the new heavens and the new earth. However, we'll see that God's abundant provision is not just through fruits and eating, 
but it is through life. Look what it says. It is the river of life, the tree of life. See, elsewhere John reminds us in his gospel that this is a God that has come to give life and life abundantly. That is good news, EBF. He, he doesn't provide only of us, for us from the fruit of the tree of life, but he provides for us from the fruit of the Spirit. He gives us life in our joys, an abundance of peace, an abundance of love for one another. But God is also not unaware of our dissensions, of our divisions. We see that the tree of life comes with leaves to heal for the nations. We see this wonderful theme of the nations again. The abundancy of God's provision is for all the nations. This beautiful diversity and unity amidst of that. But God knows the divisions that come with that. And he provides all healing for us. That one day in the new heavens and new earth, we will be diverse but unified and we will be abundantly full of the Spirit for love and peace for one another. And ultimately, every God's good provision comes from the throne of God. See, he is the source of all life. Everything flows from the throne of God. It's summertime, and that usually means wedding seasons. My wife and I, we've already been to two different weddings And when you go to a wedding, it's a beautiful and great thing. The decorations, nobody holds back. The food, the reception, the ceremony, it's all intricate. But imagine going to a wedding and the groom not being there or the bride not being there. What would be the point of going to a wedding and the people you're meant, they're meant to be there that you're supposed to celebrate aren't there? See, the same is with heaven. God is the point of heaven. He is at the center. This is what Pastor Jason was talking about last week, that God is at the center of heaven. In the same way, there is no wedding without the bridegroom. There is no heaven without God. And ultimately, this is why heaven is only for the believer, for the disciple of Christ. For why would it be heaven if the one who saved your soul and loves you deeply would not be there? What would be the point if he would not be there. So EBF, first, we will receive abundantly. And secondly, we will reflect God perfectly. Let's read verses 3 and 4. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. So as we look at the text, we're reminded to go back to Genesis once more, to where we first see a curse that is placed among humanity. So please follow along as I read Genesis three sixteen through 19. This is God speaking to Adam and Eve. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. 
By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We see that God, unlike Satan, he doesn't curse humanity in and of itself, but he curses what humanity does. He curses their relationships with one another, and he curses the work that humanity does. And so with this context, let us now go back to our passage in Revelation, and we see verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed. There will no longer be a curse in the new heavens and the new earth. We struggle with our relationships, whether that is familial or in our church or with strangers. But in the new heavens and the new earth, there will no longer be anything accursed. Our relationships will be in perfect harmony and peace. And the work we do in the new heavens, yes, the work we will be doing in the new heavens and the new earth will be fruitful and flourishing. However, the curse in our sin not only affected our relationships with one another, our creation, or with our vocation, it ultimately affected our relationships with God. And that's why Genesis 3 doesn't stop there, but it continues and says how God banished Adam and Eve from their presence, from being able to enjoy God walking in the cool of the day. But Revelation 22 tells us that no longer will there anything accurse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. We will finally be able to not only reflect God in our relationships, in our work that we do, but we will be able to reflect God perfectly because he will be there with us. We will be able to reflect God because he will be sovereign and ruling over his people. And so how will we reflect God? How are we to reflect this perfect God perfectly? And we'll reflect him in three ways, in all we do, in our being, and in our status. First, we will reflect God in all we do. Let's go back to the text and we'll see that in the New Jerusalem, we're not going to be simple bystanders. I like the reading of the NIV for this. It says that the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. We will not only worship God, but we will serve him. So in everything we do and what we eat and drink and work and play and relationships we have, it would all be perfectly a reflection of our worship to our God. And this is exactly our belief here at EBF. We believe that all of life is an act of worship. And so all we do, we will perfectly reflect God, but not just in what we do. We will reflect God perfectly because we will see his face. Verse 4 says that we will see God's face. Before Moses was told that he could not see God's face and live, but now we will be able to look upon God's face. What a tremendous blessing. What a tremendous honor. What a glorious thing that will be to look upon our creator's face and not die. And so not only will we reflect God in our being, because 1 John 3, 2 says that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so we will reflect God in our being, we will reflect God in our doing, and we will perfectly reflect God in our status, who we are as children of God and his people forever. We've seen this pattern of writing on foreheads throughout Revelation so far. But this actually goes all the way back to Aaron and his priests, where on their foreheads they had 
holy unto the Lord. And that is a language of ownership. That is a language of belonging. And the truth is, I think that we all ultimately want to belong. We all ultimately, deep down in our deepest desires, want to belong to something outside or greater than ourselves. And this is actually one of the reasons why I like Evanston so much. There's so many local shops here. There's local coffee shops, local restaurants. You can go and they'll know your order or they'll know you. You can build relationships. You walk into a place and you feel like you belong. It's amazing. It's awesome. That's something you don't necessarily always get in bigger cities. But you do get that here. So whether that's in a local coffee shop or even a cycling group or just being part of this awesome city, see, when we belong to something, that changes who we are. That changes what we do. And finally, when we ultimately solely belong to God, we will reflect him perfectly. So first, we will receive abundantly. Second, we will reflect him perfectly. And third and finally, we will reign forever. So let's look at verse 5. Verse 5 reads, And the night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Coming from Florida, obviously I had to adjust to Chicago Midwest winters, right? And according to you guys, you said that we had a mild winter this year, temperature-wise. But did you know that this winter, we didn't see the sunlight for eight days? From January 22nd to 29th, there was a 100% cloud during the day blocking out the sun. So it may not have been the coldest winter, but it was the darkest winter. And this lack of sunshine, as you guys may know, affects us in ways that, in what is called SAD, seasonal effectiveness disorder. And this is real and this is difficult. But sometimes I wonder if these dark seasons, as hard as they may be, if we go through that spiritually, if we begin to doubt God's goodness and our pains and our sufferings, we don't feel understood, we don't get along with others perhaps, or just we begin to ask God, why? Or where are you? Or why would you let this happen? Perhaps instead, as the passage says, that we will reign forever, you don't feel like you're reigning at all. Actually, you feel like you're being ruled and reigned over by anything but a good God. Is that you today? Well, know and have hope. And there is hope because there will be an end to this darkness. It will not be forever if you are in Christ. And why will there be an end to this darkness? The only reason there will ever be an end to the darkness is because God's light is greater than any of your darknesses. Any of your darkest days, God is greater than that. John once again says that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It will not be night in the new heavens and the new earth because God will be our light. And it is under this light that the servants of God will reign forever and ever.
Now, perhaps, if you're like me, the word reign is a little foreign to you. You usually attach that word to royalty. And since the beginning of our nation and the founding of democracy here, royalty, we've been a little bit disassociated with royalty. And so we don't really understand the concept all too well or fully, unless maybe you watch a lot of BBC or you watch The Crown on Netflix. Great show. However, if you are in Christ, you are royalty. Again. And I say again because once more we have to go back to Genesis. We have to go back to the bookends. Now follow along as I read from Genesis again. God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. There's that reflecting image in God, that language. And he says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. See, humanity was created to reign and to have dominion over all of creation. But perhaps you feel like, I have no reign. I have no dominion. Well, to you, I would ask you, are you a business owner? Are you a teacher? Are you a leader? Are you a parent? Do you live in a home? Do you have your own room? If you've said yes to any of these questions, then yes, you do have dominion over something that is either big or small. You have the dominion how to organize that, how to structure it, and how to cultivate that. You reign over that. But maybe that still doesn't apply to you. But know that maybe that not may be to you today, but God may entrust you with something to rule over, small or big, in a year or two. And the glorious thing is that we see from the text that all of God's people, all of his children, will be ruling and reigning, and it will be just and gracious and under God's eternal light. Now, does this sound maybe a little too good to be true? That you will receive abundantly from all of your needs, spiritual, emotional, physical, mental, social, that you will reflect the most high God perfectly without sin getting in your way in all you do and work and worship, and that finally you will be reigning into all eternity into God's everlasting light? It does sound maybe a little too good to be true. Maybe like something out of the Chronicles of Narnia or Lord of the Rings, something just that's more of a fairy tale than something that will come true. Or maybe you do believe this and you're just saying, how much longer, Lord? Not long enough. This needs to come quicker. Then for all of us, and myself included, these next verses are for us. Let's read verses 6 and 7. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angels to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. See, both the angel and God himself are testifying to the validity of these words. You can set your hope on it. You can put your weight on these words. Because God said that these words are trustworthy 
and true. And so let us hold on to these words because you will receive abundantly, because you will reflect God perfectly, and because you will reign into the eternal light. And so that's it. Just, just resist temptation. Don't ever sin. Persevere amidst of your struggles and your sufferings and your trials. Don't give up. Well, that seems like a pretty tall order and a very difficult one, to be honest. And that is exactly why I am so thankful for these next two verses. Let us read verses 8 and 9. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you, and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. John, what are you doing? You're worshiping an angel? You're one of the apostles. You're one of the inner three circle of God. I mean, you've seen visions so glorious. You've probably one of the most retweeted apostles with tweets such as, God is love, in the beginning was the word, and countless others. I mean, This is John who we're talking about, and he's worshipped the angel twice. This is the second time he's worshipped the angel. I mean, come on, buddy, what are you doing, right? And before we begin to judge John a little too much, we also worship idols. And we also sin and fall. And that's the truth. EBF, you will mess up. You will sin, you will stumble, and you will worship idols, but there's grace. See, God is gracious to John here, and God is gracious to us. The truth is we will all fumble and stumble our way into the new Jerusalem because it is by grace that the Christian is saved, and it is by grace that we will be maintained into the new heavens and the new earth until we perfectly receive every abundant gift from God, reflect him, and reign forever. And so what can I leave you with today? One of my favorite movies is The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't. But it follows this kind of average character who works for a magazine company. And his life is kind of monotonous and kind of boring. But he also lives in this imaginary world. And in his imagination, he is, he lives by what he says, the ABCs, adventurous, brave, and courageous. And he goes on these wild adventures in his imagination. And his imagination and his real world are so different and far apart. But as the movie continues and goes on, you see that who he is in real life and who he is in his imagination begin to slowly come together until finally, at the end, He does live by the ABCs. He is adventurous, brave, and courageous. And so like Walter Mitty, I would want you, EBF, to use your imagination, but use your theological imagination. Let your minds and your imaginations be so enthralled by our future lives in the new heavens and the new earth that in this life you will begin to see hints of it. Aim to, aim to live in today's realities with the new Jerusalem in mind. 
in all you receive, in all you reflect, and in all you reign, imagine your life in the new Jerusalem. Hold on to these realities. Hold on to them until a day when faith becomes sight. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for these words. I pray and I would ask that we would all and we could all, in all we do, in all we receive, in all we reflect, in all we reign, that we could live in light of the new Jerusalem. Help us to do that this day, tomorrow, and every day until we see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.